You're listening to Signal to Noise on the ProSound Web Podcast Network, proudly sponsored by RCF, who will be featuring their new TT Plus audio brand, including the high performance GTX series line arrays and the GTS 29 sub, at the upcoming LSI loudspeaker demo at the CFX show in Dallas this October. Come by and check it out. Attendance is free. The new Allen & Heath CQ Series, a trio of compact digital mixers for musicians and bands, audio engineers, home producers, small venues, and AV installers, places ease of use and speed of setup at the heart of the user experience. Rational Acoustics, makers of SMART, the industry-leading acoustical test and measurement software. Rational Acoustics, rational people, smart products. I wish I could break free Welcome to the Signal to Noise podcast on the ProSound Web Podcast Network. I'm your host, Katie Karch, and with me today is a new person in the co-host seat. Andy is very busy this week with a very cool thing that I'm sure he is talking all about on our Discord server and our Facebook group, so definitely go check that out. Um, And the co-host seat next to me today, though, is a voice that you'll be pretty familiar with by now. Uh, Please say hi to Sean Walker. What's up, y'all? What's up, Sean? How you doing? I'm partying, aka drinking coffee and doing paperwork here. That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's how it goes when you run a company. Coffee and paperwork is really where you live. How about you? That does that does sound familiar. Um, Coffee and and podcasting is what I'm up to. I'm having some some car things going on, so that's been fun. I've gotten to do some weird electrical stuff to my car in the last couple of days. So mechanic too. <laughs> All right. I mean, it. you know, you got to make it work, right? It doesn't matter if it's your car or your PA. Fair enough. The show must go yeah. on as it were. Indeed. Indeed. Got to get to the show. Give me to the Greek. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm already tired of talking about myself. I want to talk to this guest, dude. Can you introduce him or what? Absolutely. So our guest today is really cool and um, was definitely top of my list for for guests. He is an audio engineer and owns a regional production company in Southern California. He's been at that for about three years. Um, he also just started out on his first tour. But I think the most amazing thing about this guest today is that he's 18 years old and his name is Evan Turnin. Hi, Evan. Hello, thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate you taking time um, on your day off on your first tour to come do this. What else is he going to do besides yeah, no, laundry? Is- <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's uh, that's what days off are for. Laundry, <laughs> podcasting. That's about it. He can't drink yet, so he might as well do this. That's true. Exactly. Yeah. I, I had some water. That was good enough for me. <laughs> good. <laughs> So Evan, um, I I've seen you around the Discord server uh, for for Signal to Noise and got to know you there. I think a lot of people are very curious about how you started your production company. Specifically, I I would love it if you could talk about what was the financial startup like for you. Sure. Yeah. So um, if we go way way back. And for me, that means 
like eight years ago. Uh, but going way, way back, I was um, a part of a music group where I played drums and the, the band director there, he had seen that I was taking a little bit of an interest in how he would put the little PA system that we had together for live shows. And the, the real start was that I traded a snare drum stand for a Mackie SRM 350. And I had that one speaker and I was like, you know what? This is super cool. This is great. And that was right around the time that I got into middle school. And for a while, that speaker was just like, you know, playback for when I was practicing, whatever. But there was a tech teacher there at my middle school who was a DJ on the weekends. And I saw that and I saw the cool stuff that he was bringing to our school dances and whatever with his lights and his PA. And I thought, you know what? That's really cool. I want to take a spin at that, see what I can do. So became friends with him, got to talking to him more, and he ended up taking me out to a seventh grade promotional dance at the end of that first uh, sixth grade school year, kind of just showing me how he did things, how he set things up, whatever. And figured out very, very quickly after that one gig that that was something that I really, really enjoyed doing. And so I went home. I used my mom's laptop and I would download a bunch of songs on iTunes and uh, rip stuff off of YouTube and things like that. And I made myself like a little DJ playlist. And I had my, I had my Mackie speaker. I was just rocking it inside. And I would talk to my teacher and just say like, hey, you know, I've been working on this. I've been working on that. And he eventually, he threw me a bone and he gave me, he gave me my first gig, which was a 16th birthday party in a backyard. And I remember I had to borrow all of the gear from him and the place that I was um, taking music lessons at just to be able to make this gig happen. Uh, so I did this one job. I got, I think I got paid two or 300 bucks. And to me at that point, like that was, that was more money than I'd ever seen. Uh, so I did that one job, you know, I loved it. I'm sure it went well. I don't remember at this point. You know what? It went great, but <laughs> freaking flawless, was, bro. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Had everybody dancing, all, all 25 people that were there. Um, <laughs> anyhow, so I just kept doing more gigs like that. And he would give me a few gigs here and there. And I think I was doing something maybe one every two or three months. And I would take every penny that I got from doing those gigs and I would upgrade my gear a little bit or invest in gear for the first time. So I remember specifically, I bought a folding table. That was one of the first things. Then I went to Guitar Center, traded in that Mackie speaker for a pair of Alto speakers because uh, now you're partying, 35 bro. pound exactly that 35 pound srm 350 is way too heavy for a seventh grader to lift so i had my 10 pound alto speakers that i'd put on stands on either side i had a pair of like really small lights and i was rocking backyard parties so um, let me let me ask and, you this though so you you had you had this this person come into your life and and you got excited and you started renting gear and doing all this stuff. Where, where were your parents bro were they running you back and They're, forth? Like, how involved were they? They, in terms of technology, don't understand a whole lot. I mean, they're great, but I kind of surpassed them a long time ago with a lot of the stuff that they knew. So they were just driving me to and from gigs, but in terms of like 
funding things or trying to give me advice on what to buy. Like they were completely out of that. That was just me, YouTube and doing, doing gigs. Um, that's kind of just how I figured all that. They were just on the side seeing like, Hey, he's doing something that he likes. We'll keep driving him, whatever. Maybe it'll go somewhere one day. And, um, it did. That's, but, that's incredible. Yeah, that's, man. that's what they were doing for a long time. I remember my dad would show up to the gigs with me and people would ask who he was and whatever. And he'd be like, Oh yeah, I'm just the unpaid intern. Like I'm just, I'm just helping him out. I, I drive for him. And that was the running joke that we had for a long time was that he was just the, the unpaid intern that was doing stuff for me. Oh, that's man, awesome, that's, dude. That's incredible. Yeah, that was great. Can you get yeah. more unpaid interns like dad now that really saves on the overhead, bro? <laughs> it does. Um, unfortunately they don't exist otherwise, but, uh, I was lucky enough to have that. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, but shortly after that, what ended up happening was the guy that was giving me DJ gigs, he started doing bigger things and he asked um, if I knew how to do lighting. So that was like really where my production start kind of really took a grasp of me was he needed lighting. And so I taught myself how to program DMX because he didn't know how. He had lights that could use DMX, but he didn't know how to program it. So I had free program on my computer I was just pumping out shows for him and I would show up for like a hundred bucks and give him a kick-ass light show. And so that was really where I was like, okay, now DJing is cool. I love production. And so that, that was really the tipping point for me. It was, I just, I started taking the money that I was getting and I was turning that less into buying DJ controllers and downloading music off of iTunes and investing into stuff like, little DJ lights off of Amazon that could run DMX and DMX cable and things like that. And so I was kicking out light shows for a very, very long time. And then did that just naturally progress to sound after that? Were you like, oh man, now I got to start providing kind of like an all-in-one package for everybody? Or how did you get going to sound? Exactly. That's that's basically what happened, especially um, when COVID first hit. A lot of the schools around me were looking for somebody to take over for all the productions and events that they had going on. And they don't want to just hire a lighting company. Actually, most of them don't even have a budget for lighting. What they want is sound. And then that sound company to bring in a few lights. And so I bought some K-12s. I had a sub. And for a while, I was rocking just a bunch of K-12s, some really cheap wireless, and just going and busting out these school dances. And that was, that was what worked because there were no all the companies around me were closing. And the clients that they used to have still had events going on in some fashion, whether or not they were the full scale that they once were, but they still had things. So that's where I stepped in because I had kind of realized like, this is a spot for me to jump in. DJing's cool. I really don't like it as much as I like getting to set up sound and lights and just put on a cool show. So that was, that was where it, it just all changed. And after that, especially with all those production companies closing gear was cheap. You could get, production like touring industry standard stuff for a tenth of the price and so i was getting 58s for 10 bucks i was getting like tons of stuff that's how i have a lot of the gear that i have today is just because at that point it was cheap it was available the events were there that were funding it and continuing to fund it and as long as i maintained some level of good quality um final products like people would keep hiring me and that turned into actually having a full-fledged production company that now is doing 
probably about 100 events a year at this point. Dude, way to go, buddy. Way to kick ass. That's awesome. Yeah, it's fun. It's so. At what point did you start hiring your friends? Because I, I saw a part of that journey happening where you you started bringing in friends um, to be your your crew. So where when did that come in? It was that was really when I started booking those school dances because I had realized they're looking for something bigger than what I can do by myself. And so that turned into, hey, let me take some friends that they've got knowledge about computers. Computers are kind of like lights and sound. I'm sure they can figure it out. Um, and they, they sort of could. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, um, that's where it started. Because I remember booking the first like big dance that I booked was, it was two grand. And I thought, oh man, like I've made it. So I hired one other person and I paid him like, 500 bucks for the night i was like you know what we're gonna we're gonna kick ass we're gonna make this show super cool and we did and then from there i kind of realized hey it maybe helps to not run 18 hour days and have somebody other than yourself doing these gigs and so the more friends that i kind of saw like oh they can probably do this it was like hey you want a show come on i'll pay you 200 bucks for the weekend let's go let's go do this thing and then there's money in your pocket and i'm happy that i don't have to work by myself all weekend Dude, yeah. totally. That's awesome. So uh, was there a, a tipping point for you where you realized, like, maybe I should hire some people with AV experience? Like, maybe I should hire people who have graduated high school or? <laughs> yeah. So that really happened once the shows actually got demanding. And also, I learned a lot more about production myself, because once I learned how to create a lot better of a final product. I found myself being frustrated that I was having to show all of, I was having to spend the time on the show sites, teaching my friends how to do the job that they were supposed to be doing instead of just telling them, Hey, go put this together, go let this happen. Cause I just didn't have time for that anymore. Um, Cause we were busting out shows on a somewhat decent basis. It was something every, every other week or so. I just couldn't keep training new people. So then I started looking for like, hey, who's in the area who sort of knows what they're doing? And what that ended up being was becoming friends with other production companies that I would rent gear from occasionally and just going, hey, guys, you have people. I have a show this weekend. What can I pay you to send one of your warehouse guys or whatever on the show with me? And a lot of them could see that like, hey, there's this kid that's running some decently sized shows, let's send out some people for them. So it created good relationships that way. But that's also where I figured it out was just, I don't want to spend time showing everybody how to do their job. Sure. Absolutely. Totally, dude. That's a pain. The the relationships that you were making with other AV companies around town, how did you start that? How did you even know where to start making those relationships? Were Were you looking around going, oh, I really need to, you know, cross rent something and it, and it happened or uh, did somebody direct you to these relationships? So it was really, I was looking for some very specific gear that I would see other people using on YouTube. I remember watching people doing similar size shows with specific gear. And then I would call up all the local companies that would do rentals and say, Hey, I need this exact speaker or this exact set of lights. And if they didn't have it, 
I wouldn't call them back. And so that left me with a very small little group of, oh, they have what I see on YouTube. Cool. Um, but that ended up forming some good relationships because those people, I mean, aside from having the gear that I thought I needed, they were just amazing people to get to work with. So, oh, dude, that's, that's awesome. That's really how that, yeah, it's super fun. That's cool. You need a good network when you're doing events, man. You got to be able to go from what you're good at, have a trusted network of people you can expand to other things. So, you know, whether that's bigger lighting rigs or video wall or stages or whatever, you know what I mean? To be able to not just have whatever chucklehead is in the, you know, the quick web search or yellow pages or whatever to tape myself there. But mm-hmm. like to have a few people you can call and know they'll do a good job and do it kind of in the fashion that you're expecting it to be done. That's awesome, yep. dude. That's super smart. Exactly. And getting those connections honestly has worked out so much more than just having a spot for gear in the long run, because now, especially with two of these companies, like I'll send work to them and they'll send it right back to me. And it's created a lot more than just, I have gear, you have gear. It's let me send you this event because we're short staffed for the weekend or, Hey, let's just work together on this one huge corporate gig that I have the stuff for and you have the stuff for. let's just make it happen. So it's turned out to be a lot more than just gear, which is great. That's awesome, dude. Good work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, that's that's definitely how it works. I, I worked at a regional company in Dallas, and people would call us, and maybe we couldn't take that gig. Maybe I didn't have the people. Maybe I maybe their budget wasn't you know aligning with what we offered or whatever. And I'd say, you know what? Why don't you call these people across town and give a specific phone number? And then in return, when those people had a gig that they couldn't take, they'd send it back my way. And that kind of symbiosis really, you know, helps drive both companies. Exactly. Yeah. No, it creates, it creates some really amazing opportunities. Yeah. Awesome. For sure. So I recall you saying at some point that you, you kind of, you, you said that you could do your first arena gig, uh, very confidently took the job oh. and uh yes. so uh, i was wondering if you might want to talk about that a little bit oh there's sean over sure. here going oh <laughs> same bro so that's the other thing that got me gigs was i would have people coming to me asking hey can you do this job and i would have no yes. idea how to do the job yes but i would say yes and then go oh yeah. shit i need to figure out how to do the job now dude two thousand percent that's exactly what I did. And so yeah, one of those calls was for a 700-person orchestra. It was a city that had a full orchestra of all the kids that went to their music programs within the city that were going to fill out a basketball arena with all the kids on the floor. And then they needed 360-degree audio coverage for this show. And they needed they needed wireless for the people that were speaking. They needed all of the kids in the orchestra to be heard. And then they needed foldback monitors for every independent group so then they could hear the one keyboardist in the center of the room. And they also didn't want to see the PA. Okay. And I said <laughs> I could do it. Did you? I did. Nice. It, well done. That was one of the longest days I've ever spent on site. I think it was, if I remember correctly, it was 28 hours 
that we didn't leave, but we we flew speakers. Um, I was not flying speakers. I hired somebody else for that. But we flew speakers. You know, we made it work. Everybody was happy. There was a lot that sort of went wrong because when you do shows of that size, you need a lot of cable. But there's a lot of cable runs in arenas that you don't think about that aren't just straight lines. So I went in thinking I had exactly enough cable and then the day of needed to rent about an extra thousand feet worth of XLR because I was it just wasn't working out. But you know what? The show happened. It worked. And now that's a client that I have as a repeat client where we're probably doing seven or eight shows for them per year of the same caliber, which is great. Dude, killer. That's great honestly job, amazing. As as someone who has, um, you know, been at this for a really long time, I, I have a very good idea of what that would take. And honestly, I have never production managed a show for an arena. Like, the fact that you pulled it off, like, how how much of a learning curve was there for you? Like All of it. It was you, the whole I mean, lot. Can can the, you talk the about some, curve. <laughs> so, some of the? It was just a straight line, straight up. Um, yep. uh, can you talk about some of the the stuff that you know you were realizing as you walked through doing that? What were some of the big things that you were you were just completely surprised by? Other than oh shit, this venue is twice the size I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. That was one of the main ones. <laughs> um. I mean, the biggest thing, and this helped me also with uh, being a better mix engineer and system engineer, was that I realized the biggest learning curve was figuring out what works on a computer versus what works in real life. And oh, dude, totally. talking to people, talking to so many people that know a lot more than I do helped with that a lot. Because, like, for that arena gig, for example, to get 360 degrees worth of coverage that doesn't hit the center bowl where everybody's playing isn't that easy to have sound good. On a computer, I can just throw up three, four different hangs and say, oh, cool, we got coverage. It doesn't work like that in the real world. And also, there's no way that I can tell headroom for how much power I have left on my box to do shows like that because that was that was one of the biggest things honestly was that I was under specking rigs for a very long time and I didn't know because on the on the computer in the visualization it looked great and then I would get there do the show and everything was limiting 100% of the time because I just didn't have enough PA so things like that and just kind of learning like okay this is what works in my head, this is what works on the computer versus this is what works in real life. Like just talking to people that knew more than me, talking to other production companies that had done the things that I was running into, that was what made that learning curve less of an impossible battle and more of something where I was like, oh, I'm learning something new every time, but I actually kind of understand what I'm doing. Was there ever a moment in the process where you just kind of said, oh no, I'm in too deep. I'm I'm way over my head here. I should just stop. I should just quit. I should say I'm sorry and just walk away. I would like to say no to that question, but unfortunately, yes, that has happened many times. Mostly with installs. Um, I do quite a few installs um, once I got my certifications for electrical contractors licenses and rigging and things like that i 
did a bunch of installs. And it's great to put up PA. It's great to put up projectors, video screens, but you have to wire it. What a pain in the butt. And there's been, there's been a lot of times when I've gotten everything up and then I go to wire it and go, I, I, I don't know how to get through this ceiling. I don't know how to do that. Maybe I should have asked somebody else to do this job for me, but that's also what makes it so that now I can go into those situations and go, okay, I struggled through it those two, three times. Now I know how to do it. And now for every time that somebody does ask me to do it, the answer isn't, yes, I'll figure it out later. It's just, yeah, I know how to do that. Yeah, my buddy Garrett tells me all the time, there's nothing an angle grinder and a sawzall won't fix. And I was like, all right, man. (laughs) Better get good at drywall, dog. (laughs) (laughs) I've... I've punched a few too many holes in drywall that go nowhere. <laughs> right? I tell totally. you what, I was on this install years ago for a church, and it had been built kind of one building at a time, and it was brick, and behind the brick was chicken wire, and behind the chicken wire was plaster, and it was just, it kept going, and trying to get through that, it ate so many drill bits, dude. Yes, exactly. Um, it's It's just... You never know what you're going to run into when you start uh, banging around the walls of these old buildings, man. Nope. And I, we did one over this summer, actually, where I had probably 50 or 60 installs under my belt. And still, I went into a venue to go hang a PA. And everywhere that I drilled along one wall to try and find points to put the mounting brackets for these X40s, we would hit drywall. And there were no studs anywhere on the wall that we could find because they were so far deep because it was the building had been built in a way where they had just added a facade onto the front of it during a renovation. So the studs were about a foot deep in the wall because it was just layers of drywall of them doing that renovation over time. Brutal, bro. So there's, yep, it happens. It happens. So I feel like we skipped around a little bit um, and we kind of went from you had a couple of K-12s and, and then we were talking about doing arenas. Where was that moment where you went from K-12s to the Meyer rig you have now? Same moment. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's the, that was it. That was. <laughs> that, that was the gig. No, it was. Um, it was honestly the fact that I was starting to do a lot more live music and the K-12s just weren't cutting it for more than 150, 200 people. They wouldn't get loud enough. They would just, if if you know how a K-12 sounds when it hits limit, it just turns into a distorted mess. It doesn't Don't we it all, nicely. bro? Don't we all? <laughs> yep. I mean, yes. It is, it is the little box that so, could, though, man. Like, those things bet so far to their price class, it's ridiculous. But we all oh, yeah. know exactly I, I what you're talking a about. Ton of them. Yeah, yep. yeah. So I was looking for a new box and I had a budget in mind. And what that budget ended up being was I was looking around at the new stuff and the new stuff wasn't seeming like it was that much of a step up from what I already had. So I went used and I looked at a lot of the big touring companies and what they were selling. And the box that kept coming up the most was the uh, Meyer UPJ-1P. So I started looking into that, just seeing like, hey, what can this box do? How does it work? And got a demo of some, and very quickly, um, 
that was the box that uh, that I landed on, and I got a pair. And that was an when I heard them for the first time. That was the moment of like, okay, this is the PA that I've wanted for a while. This is what a quote unquote real box actually sounds like. Um, and I was hooked. Oh yeah, dude! The first time hooked. you got a pro PA instead of the MI stuff, it's it's a huge difference. They've only had two boxes of it, but those two boxes did more than four K-12s could. And so to me, that was like, okay, sounds better. It's fewer boxes I have to bring out and pack into a truck. And also, they look a little nicer. And I can charge more for them. So, you know what? This is what it should be. And that was also, at the time when I was learning how to do a lot more with system engineering and understanding what that did. And so... I started looking into everything else that Meyer had and also other companies as well. But I, Meyer was just kind of what seemed like had the best offerings for what I needed. And so I started going to demos. I became friends with some of the engineers over there and the, the sales reps. I was buying more of their used stuff. And that turned into having, um, up until I sold it recently, a 32-box Lena rig with um, eight of their 15-inch 750LFCs. And uh, right now, I have eight UPJ-1Ps. Um, there's a Leopard rig on the way. Like, it just... It doesn't stop. It really doesn't. Bro, seriously. It never stops. It doesn't. Someday I'll but get to take my wife on stop. vacation, but until then, I'm going to keep buying more gear. Yeah, you know what? I, I keep telling... <laughs> I keep telling... My parents don't have any um, role in the company, nor do they have any say in what I spend my money on. But every time I buy something and it shows up, my mom always asks, okay, so this is it now, right? Like, you're done buying for a while? Yeah, sure, no. There's, there's something coming next week. It's not going to stop. It doesn't end. Well, dude, the trouble is, is that once you get to a place where people know you do a good job and they like you, because that's really the biggest part is people like you. There's plenty of people that do a just fine job, right? Yep. Pretty soon you've got two gigs a day to do and then three gigs a day and then four and then five. And then, you know what I mean? Like there's weekends where we've got 10 plus gigs simultaneously and it's just bananas and you just yep. need more gear than you know what to do with or where to put it all, you know? Exactly. And that's, that's one of the things that I um, actually, I hooked back up with that DJ teacher recently. And he was asking me, he's like, so what for you is like having enough gear? Because he's like, I haven't purchased gear in three or four years because I have enough to do all the gigs that I'm doing and I'm not really getting anything bigger than that. And the best way I can explain it is just my company is still growing. And every time we do something bigger, that's a new set of needs that Sure, I have exactly enough gear or way more than enough gear to do all of those gigs that I was doing a year ago when I said, oh, I need to buy this gear to do this job. Yeah, I have all of that now. If those were the only jobs that I was doing, I wouldn't need to spend any money. But I'm getting bigger jobs and I'm doing more jobs in one day. And that's what's making the difference. And your clients are changing along with you. Your clients that yep. started doing small shows are now doing medium shows and then are going to do bigger shows. And you need to either scale with your clients or they're going to go someplace else. So it is kind of a, it's not quite never ending, but it is kind of a never ending 
cycle. You know what I mean? Exactly. And you know what? I'm going to keep going with that cycle as long as I can, because if jobs are coming my way and they make sense yeah, to dude, do, that's awesome. I'm going to want to take them. Dude, that that's honestly really amazing. So when, uh, when did you decide that you wanted to tour? Like, was that something that you'd been waiting to do? Um, or, or was that in the back of your mind or was it an opportunity that came up and you were like, Oh yeah, this seems like a good idea. That was something that I had always said I had wanted to do. I had no idea whether or not I would actually like it, but I liked the idea of it. And as I was mixing more and more and, um, the company does quite a few events that are just straight live music. Let's mix a band, go home. I love doing that. That's my favorite thing to mix. It's just getting to mix a good, solid show, good musicians. And so that kind of turned into like, what if that show that I do one time on the weekend becomes a repetitive thing and I'm doing the same set list every time and getting to perfect that? Well, that's just touring. And so that's where I kind of figured out, this is what I think I want to do. And honestly, the way I landed a tour is with um, advice from Sean, actually, because... Oh, God, bro, while... you got to know better than never take advice from me. Really? Oh. <laughs> a while back, you had said, if there's jobs that you want, just submit your bid for them. And the worst that they can say is no. And sometimes they'll just give you the opportunity. Well, that's what happened here. Um, I had just graduated high school. I was happy just doing the gigs that we were doing here, whatever. And I was on Instagram one day and saw that the previous sound guy for this band that I'm out with right now had posted saying, hey, the tour that I was supposed to go on, I can't. If anybody knows a touring engineer, have them contact this person, which was the lead singer of the band. And so I shot him a DM on Instagram and was like, hey, I'm, a, I'm an audio engineer. I've been doing this for some time now. Um, I hear you're looking for somebody. I'd love to chat, connect, see if I make this work. And you know what? It did. I, I shot my shot and it worked out. And now I'm on tour. I'm halfway through a six-week run. Every, well, every little once in a while, Sean gives okay advice. I was going to say that was the one. That was the <laughs> one piece of good advice I'll have my entire career. Thanks for just burning that one right, right quick. Thanks. No problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got you. <laughs> oh, you're not a ding dong, Sean. Well, how it's, is it? It's really cool. It's got its own set of quirks and challenges. But at the end of the day, we're doing really cool shows. They're great people. And it's really, really fun to mix. Because this also winning. isn't. It's not your average tour. This is a, um, it's an 11 piece <laughs> swing slash rock slash funk like fusion group. Yeah, dude. Nice. It is. When I first, when I did the first show, it kicked my ass because we're 46 inputs off the stage of just pure energy. And like, sure, 46 inputs, whatever. That's not the thing that makes it hard. The thing that makes it hard is that their set list is so refined that there is no downtime between songs. You have a song, four clicks, you're in the next song. So there was no downtime to fix any mistakes or do things like that. And mixing horn five horns against two vocalists and making it sit right in the mix and making everything pleasing and all of that, like it was a challenge. But now that we're 
I don't know how many shows in. It's just, I feel like I'm on a little bit of autopilot now and I'm just getting to enjoy the shows and it's fun. Whoa, 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 whoa. You are way too young to be forgetting how many shows in you are, bro. Way too young. (laughs) You can't even drink yet. You got to be smarter than the rest of us. Come on, dude. We are counting on you, buddy. All of my days blend together. I don't know what day of the week it is anymore. I I get it, man. Like, so you get out there and you're just like, oh, is today Tuesday? And everyone's like, no, Katie, it's Friday. You know? Yeah. You lose track. So, and it's so fast, too. How fast you you just don't know what's going on anymore or what city you're in or whatever. All right. So, nerd nerd question. With such a tight set list and uh, probably not a lot of pre-production time are you utilizing virtual sound check to dial in your show or do you have time for that even um i don't have time for that normally what we do is we load in we have about a 30 minute sound check and the way that my show files work is because i'm mixing monitors and front of house from front house um so i'm handling 12 monitor mixes uh because it's one for each person plus a fold-back monitor in the very front of the stage, and mixing front of house at the same time. So we Shoot go around in the check. face, no. bro. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's a lot. So we go around, we line check everybody. Everybody gives me a little bit of like, hey, just from the line check, I can tell I need more of this in my monitor for today. We, won, we run one song, and I use the previous night's show file. Um... I should preface this by saying that I tune the room first. So I tune the PA, load up smart, run some pink noise, do my thing. This happens before the line check. And then I just go through previous night's show file. I undo whatever the um, like weird changes I had made just for that room and just kind of have, this is last night's monitor mix. This is last night's EQ on all the inputs. Let's run down, do it. They do one song. Mm-hmm. That's my sound check. So I have basically three minutes to dial in my mix for the night um, or at least get it started. Mm-hmm. They'll go over band notes and then it's dinner time and then it's showtime. And that's it. That's all I get. Yeah, man. That's that's really similar to how I, I've done it on theater tours where um, you get to a new city, you get two seconds of of everyone in the cast and then you get one number, like one minute of one number. And then you're like, okay. Um, but having that show file behind you, having that set up and knowing what your target curve is and knowing what you want the show to sound like, those tools are invaluable for speed. Um, because especially the kind of theater touring I was doing, I didn't have two days to load in. I had six hours, eight hours, something like that. Uh, it sounds a lot like what you're doing. Yep. And it's um, it's a little bit of a whirlwind, but especially now, um, I feel like it really clicked after the third show. The third show was kind of like, I've got three shows. I can see how this is going. This is, I'm sensing the patterns here, whatever. And so that was kind of where things started to make sense. And now that little three minutes of sound check like that to me feels like a million years because I have my show file dialed in. I know what they all want. And it's just, I know what the show should sound like so that it's not as scary as it sounds, at least to me having done, these shows now but still it is it's a lot well does anything scare you yes <laughs> sports i don't i don't know how to play sports oh, okay that's fair i don't i don't sports either man <laughs> mm. 
Yeah. That's you know. all it took, huh? Sports? Yep. It scares okay. me. That and snakes. Mm. But not the sub-snake kind. The, the, real, <laughs> the real kind. The reptile oh, kind. No, the, 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 the other snake kind scares me. Pulling main <laughs> snakes sucks, bro. Oh, yeah, it can. Uh, it totally can. <laughs> yeah. No, I get that. So, well, before we uh, before we hit the record button here, um, you and I were talking uh, about what it's like to uh, go through these different rooms, these really different rooms, night to night. Um, yeah, it's it's a little nuts. I, I don't know if you ever had that experience I did of just two K twelve stuck to the ceiling. I, I had that one night. I was like, what is yep. this? <laughs> yep. Um, there's it's it's honestly super I don't know if fun is the word because sometimes it's really not fun but it's it's honestly interesting to see how I can make every room that I go into how to make it work because they're all very different because we're playing 750 to one and a half thousand capacity rooms most of them are they're pretty full but um that size space can mean a lot of different things for PA. Um, because especially out in the Midwest, sometimes a venue of that size means you're in a high school auditorium. Other times it means you're in the nicest theater they have. Mm. And so for those nicest theaters, like um, I've been on Meyer Riggs, I've been on L Acoustics, D&B, a lot of RCF, um, some Nexo, then you go in the next night and it's a Bose system or um, a few times it's been really old, like point source community rigs. Uh, mm-hmm. I've had mm-hmm. some PV stuff, I but mean, you just make it work. I'll so say this for work. PV. It is hard to kill it. Like it is hard uh, to kill PV. Yeah. So in summary, it will kill though. In summary of what you just said, what you're saying is you are earning every bit of your day rate on this particular tour. Yes, I am. <laughs> like I every am. dollar of yep. it is getting earned. Every dollar is going <laughs> into the hours that I pour into doing these shows. But you know what? It's fun. It's fun. I enjoy it. I love it. It's, it's whatever. That's awesome, dude. How many shows left until you come home? Exactly three weeks, which I believe is it's it's a show pretty much every other day. So like ten shows. Cool, like dude. And you got somebody at home printing money for you with your company while you're gone, right? You're not. It's not just. Oh yes, yeah, there's, buddy, um, my man. There's at least there's there's a few things every week. Like the the crew back home is knocking it out, doing school dances, corporate shows. Um, there's a huge corporate show that we're doing coming up and like it's fun we're doing we're doing good stuff i'm hearing great things back both from the crews and from the clients like hey you know what you're not here but this is amazing it's same quality that we can always expect from your stuff so good job which Dude, that's to me awesome is, that was the that was the most nerve-wracking thing about going on tour was having to leave behind this company and just hoping that when i came back it wasn't a burning pile on the floor and I had lost all my clients and all of my money. Two yep. to a thousand percent. Yeah, man. I can't imagine. So how, how much of your time that you're spending right now is, is um, the, that production management and, and company ownership 
back home and how much are how much are you able to just trust the people that you've left behind i still have quite a bit to do because no matter what i'm always the person that's still doing pr and um like client relations and things like that and i'm also the one that's doing the invoicing i'm doing the accounting that still has to happen on the road i just don't get to see the final product so i'm still making um prep sheets and pull sheets for all the gigs i'm still talking to all the clients sending invoices i'm doing my doing my accounting stuff um so i still spend all of the time that we have on the road doing that like uh this morning before i got on here i had four poll sheets to make for gigs that we have coming up just because it doesn't stop and just because i'm away doesn't mean that i can't do those same roles wow wow that i mean that's that sounds intense that sounds like um it sounds like you're doing a lot man do you sleep yeah yeah you know i'm getting i slept what is it 12 hours last night which is great nice real fun I don't yeah. I don't remember ever getting twelve hours of sleep on the road. No, nah, man, I've got kids in the company. I haven't slept twelve hours in a decade. <laughs> well, you know, speaking that's, that's the one Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, speaking of things like are you sleeping? Uh, how are you doing out there? Like how how this is your first time uh touring? Is it your first time like really away from home for an extended period? Do you have are you keeping contact back home? How's all that going for you? It's it's going. One of the very nice things about this tour is that the band leader insisted that every night that we are on the road, or so that's six weeks worth of nights, we want to stay in a hotel. No matter what, if it means getting up at 3 a.m. to start driving the next morning, doesn't matter. We are stopping for at least a few hours in a hotel, getting some sleep before we hit the road again. And that has been the best part because no matter what, I know, you know what? Even if this gig, like this PA was shit, it sounded like shit. There weren't that many people that showed up. I get a night's sleep at the end of the day. And that's what's great. Um, We get per diem, which is (laughs) the one thing I will say, not, I still live at home. I'm 18. So I'm used to still getting like home cooked meals and things like that. I've realized being out entirely by myself, it's really, really easy to eat terribly. When you're by yourself and it's, oh, Burger King's down the street. Cool. But I already had Wendy's today. Ah, it's fine. I'll have another burger and And I'll get an ice cream cone while I'm at it. Yep. Nope. Not cheap at all. Having a per diem is great. And I'm very, very much trying to stick to it. But food (laughs) exists. So, you know, that can be a little hard sometimes. And I uh, understand you got an update to your writer. Speaking of food, you want to share that with everybody? Yes. Um, I do have a little bit of an addiction to chocolate. So my writer has now gone to include chocolate chip cookies at front of house when we show up to the gigs. <laughs> How's that going for you? Are you getting your chocolate chip cookies? You know what? Last night was the first night that the updated writer was at a venue and I did. I got cookies. Yes. Yeah, buddy. That's, That's awesome. awesome. It was great. You know what? It's fun. And, uh, as long as I don't eat too many of them, I'll be fine when I come back home. Well, you got to just come back home with a suitcase full of cookies. Exactly. Yeah. Sh- no. Share them with the band, then you'll be their best friend. Uh. <laughs> exactly. I will say the one thing that is um, 
interesting is that you really have to plan your life around when you have time to do things. Like today's my day off. So I had to very strategically plan what I was wearing and how I was sparing clothes here and there to make it so that I could get to laundry day today versus other days because I don't always have time to do it. So getting time to do stuff like get a haircut, do laundry, whatever, that takes, takes some time. But I, I'm not that's telling you been to, challenging. to pay off your wardrobe person, but pay off your wardrobe person and have them throw your clothes in with the, with the show clothes. Hot so tip. unfortunately, we don't have that, <laughs> but <laughs> that a, would be nice. A lot of venues do have washer dryer, and, and if, if you're very nice to them, they'll let you use them. Okay. Yeah, I've been keeping all my dirty clothes in a Marshall's bag, so it works. I mean, you, that as bag long is as funky by now. You, as long as you're you're keeping that like separate from the rest of your clothes, because like if you have a bag full of dirty socks, dude, and it's like in your suitcase with everything else, all your clothes will smell like dirty socks. Yeah, no, that's so that's that's why the Marshall's bag. <laughs> good, good. That's good. exactly why. You know, it's these little tips. It's these these quality of life things that people don't always know before they head out the first time. I certainly didn't know them. Yeah, I, I I'm learning so much every day. Um, whether it just be how to survive a 10-hour van ride across the U.S. to get from show to show, or just how to live when you're living out of one suitcase and all that stuff. Like, it's, it's a just totally different way of living that I wasn't used to, but, like, you figure it out pretty quickly how to make it work. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, Is I'm there- a little impressed and a little disappointed since it's obvious that we're all going to work for you someday. Thanks for that one. <laughs> I have been saying I mean, his that first, for months. Dude's first, <laughs> dude's first tour. Not only is he getting paid, he updated his writer to include chocolate chip cookies, and they showed the fuck up the next show. Damn they it, did. Evan! We all take notes from you. I just got schooled <laughs> on how life works. I think. Hey God. man, chocolate chip cookies are the way to the future. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you say, boss. <laughs> yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> Yes, sir. Katie, can oh. you update the uh, show notes to make Evan's title Evan Cashing Checks Trunin so that we all know that we're working for him while he's cashing checks? <laughs> Absolutely, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. 100%. Uh, if we're not all working for Evan one day, I will eat my hat. Okay. You know what? I appreciate it. Hey, I one got this day, company in Seattle well, you can buy, bro. <laughs> totally down. I'd love to. <laughs> um, Seattle's looking real nice. Evan, we've gotten all the way, uh, we're at like the 50-minute mark. I don't know the name of your company, bro. What is it? <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, it's Turnin Audiovisual, LLC, and uh, it's TAV for short, which is what most people know it as. Um, that's the logo that stenciled on everything. It's just this, it's this cool TAV, and it's on all the shirts, and it's what it is. It's nice and simple, but it's sort of memorable, so it works. Dope, dude. And we'll include a link to your to your website or your Instagram or however you want us to do that. Um cool, speaking thank you. of Instagram, what what are these what are they called? Halfies, point fives? I'm old. Explain this to me. Point fives. Yeah. <laughs> um if you've got one of the newer iPhones, you can take point five selfies if you just flip your phone around. Mm. And I will say, there's nothing like a console photo from me at front of house um, in the middle of a show that's point five. I send them home to um, my parents and my girlfriend after every show. So they just get this goofy photo of, you know, the super fish-eyed look 
but it's fun. You know, it's my fun little way of keeping people updated on where I am. Yeah, no, I saw the one you posted in the Office Picks uh, channel on the Discord server last night, and you were smiling. I was so proud of you. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's a whole nother thing. I do remember, uh, I'd say about a year ago, I was mixing a, a decently sized city festival, and somebody came up to me, and he's like, do you ever smile? Like, do you ever look happy? And I was like, you know what, man? I'm having the time of my life. I just smiling's not the thing I th- I think of when I'm in the middle of mixing, you know, for 3000 people in front of me. Well, you know, the thing is, like that is something that was brought to my attention too. And it's it's not um it's not that I'm not enjoying myself, it's that I can't keep a thought off of my face. And uh, exactly. and so I'm listening to something really silly somewhere. I'm listening to the hi hat, and it like the show is fine. And I'm being super picky, and I'm making a face, and people run up, and they're like, "Oh my god, what's wrong?" And I'm so I've I've had to work on that where I have to like keep my face more neutral or smile more just to keep everybody yep. around me calm. What it, what is I it like, noticed- you guys? Like actually being good at your job because I've just been smiling for years and nodding and smiling, <laughs> trying to figure out how to be good. And you guys are just like ripping, and then like, oh, I should remember to smile. Like, help me out here. What how, what's your secret? <laughs> I think uh, I I kind of wish that you know I have that talent of just being able to to smile, man. Yeah, that face. Oh. Yeah, exactly. That's fun. So this is a podcast, and you're freaking welcome. on all of the photos that i've gotten back um anytime i've done a show back home and i've brought a photographer with me not in one of them am i ever smiling despite the fact that i look at that photo and go oh yeah i was having the time of my life here i always look mad which is it's not the best thing um but that's also why i don't show up in any of the photos so does your photographer just send you the headline you mad bro in every one of those pictures yep he basically yeah (laughs) You know, people come to expect at this point. <laughs> oh, dude, that's funny. So yeah, yeah do you make a no, conscious effort to like put a smile on your face and while you're at the show, you're like, oh, I got to remember to smile. Otherwise, people are going to think I'm I pissed. Do. And, and to be honest, I've noticed, especially with this band that I'm out with right now, like it does make a difference because if I'm having a good time and I like I could be having a good time, but if I smile while I'm having a good time and I go and I make eye contact with that lead singer and he can see me, he will smile back at me. And so I've noticed like it, it makes a big impact on your talent. Dude, it makes a huge impact mm-hmm. on your talent. I've got one artist I work for that they literally, after every show, they're like, I can always tell if it's going well or not going well based on whether you are like rocking out in front of house or whether you're standing there looking frustrated. And when you're jumping around like an idiot in front of house, we are excited and jump around like idiots on stage. And when you're looking like who farted in front of house, we're like, rut row, it must not be good out there, you know? Yep, exactly. Yeah, 100%. I will say that, like, I, I do um, get caught up and I forget to smile. But another thing that I do is I dance behind my console constantly. I am always dancing yep. back there. And so when my artists, like, look up and they see me just jamming out, like, having a great time, it really does make an impact. And it, and it I can tell, I can feel that energy coming back from them to me. And it's really cool. I've noticed myself doing that a lot more on this tour. And actually, um, a show we did a few nights ago, front of house was set up just in the middle of the audience in this big uh, theater that we had. (laughs) And the row of people behind me came up to me during our little intermission that we had. 
they told me they're like the band's really fun to watch they're like you dancing around back here with all your lights and buttons like that's fun to watch too (laughs) yeah buddy that's awesome i love it yeah man because i I bet a band like that's super fun right oh my gosh yeah it's it's a party on stage at all times people are jumping around they're 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 just having fun it's it's great dude how rad if you're not having fun doing this work then i think that you're you're doing it wrong or it's not for you totally agree like yeah we all have moments but honestly this job rocks it's so cool and just being oh, yeah. excited to it, to be able to do what you do for a living. I, I think that that energy comes through in everything you do with the way you interact with the artist, your clients, the audience. Like, you know, you've met that guy that's just he's just done and burnt out or whatever. And um, or maybe it was a gal. And uh, um, and so. Like, yeah, you've met them and they just have this energy coming off of them and they are just, they just bring the whole room down and you get rid of that energy and suddenly everybody's yep. rocking and rolling again and having a great time. And I think it's, I mean, exactly. it's, it's good for your mental health to, to be able to be positive. And I'm not saying like be positive um, when you don't feel it. I'm saying that like when you are in that state of mind, it just makes everything better. Totally. And you know what? I've. Going to all of these venues too, I've run into the house tech that has been there for 30 years and is at his wit's end and just hates everything. And also the ones that are like, you know what? Love my job. Been doing this forever, but it's it's fun. Have a good show. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. So. And how much easier is that when they're they're in a good mood and they know what time it is and you're like, yeah, dude, here's, you know, left, right, sub, fill, whatever, let's rip. And they're like, yeah, dude, let's go. Yep. Rather than like, you exactly. son of a bitch, you know? Y- yep. Totally. Plus, then you can share chocolate that. chip cookies and they love you. Exactly. You know what? More more chocolate chip cookies to go around. That's it, dude. Bribery so works every time. 100% of the time totally. works every time. Exactly. Yep. And, yeah. I agree. And if you can't bring snacks, then put snacks on your writer. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. I think I'm putting pamplemousse on my writer. I must have sparkling water or will not perform. <laughs> <laughs> Sean... You're spoiled, man. Oh, dude, we're totally spoiled. We literally like tote big ice chests around with like, speaking of snacks, dude, sparkly water and water and freaking hummus and fresh veggies and coffee station and the whole bit. And uh, people will show up and they're like, dude, you guys spend more time dealing with the freaking snacks than you do with the PA. We're like, yeah, yeah, we're over the PA. That was that was hours ago. But this snack (laughs) thing, though. (laughs) Right. Like this this thing is going to caffeinate itself. Become your friend. That's right, dude. Totally. All the bands are like hanging out. They're like, dude, you're better than catering right now because they just got like a bag of chips and sauce over there. We're like, yeah, yeah, we're about to fire the barbecue in a minute. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man, I got to get out to Seattle soon. Dude, totally. So, so Evan, um, is there anything that you if you if you could go back to the beginning of the tour and make sure that you brought or that you did or how you prepared, would there be any changes that you make? to how how you approached it uh yes uh three things number one more socks always number two i wish i had bought the rechargeable packs like the battery packs for my accident rig mm-hmm. and the charge that goes in the rack mm-hmm. because i'm dumping double a batteries after every show because 10 channels of wireless with two batteries each mm-hmm. quite a few batteries after 
every show. I'm making a lot of Walmart runs. So when I get back, I'll be buying those. But uh, the other thing is, I kind of wish I had brought um, just more rolls of tape. Hmm. Which sounds weird because like, yeah, gaff tape, sure, whatever. But with all the people that are on stage, they have costumes of different colors. Things rip on the road. Not everybody has like sewing kits and things break. Drum heads, like the front drum head breaks. Black gaff does not look nice on a white drum head for your front of your bass drum that has your band logo on it. So it's just colored tape to fix people's suits or fix their dresses or fix that front drum head, whatever. Or even spike off certain things on stages when there's venues like a couple nights ago when there was a pit that clo- that like was all the way down at the front of the stage with no marker where the end of that stage was and the pit started. Some spike tape would have been nice there, but I only have black gaff. Oh, Bro, I don't know if you know this, but rock stars like to stand on things. That needs to be marked someplace. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> That I wish was, people uh, could have seen that, was, that. Sean and I both, our, our eyes got so wide, our jaws dropped. We were like, there's no tape on the front of the mistake. Bro, I would have pink spike taped the shit out of that. Yeah, glow tape, That was man. one of the more interesting venues we went to. <laughs> interesting. That's that's a good way to yeah. put that. Yep, totally. Dude. Brutal, bro. Awesome. You know what? It's fun, though. It's fun, though. And you'll live and you learn. So next time I go out, because... Hopefully there will be a next time. Um, I know, I know, I know the better. Got the experience, dude. Killer. How fun, dude. bro? Dude. Yeah. Exactly. I I really appreciate you coming and and talking to us, man. I like I said, yeah. um, I I started thinking about who I would want to interview, and and your name was definitely top of the list. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Dude, oh, what's one thing? What's one thing that we haven't asked yet that you were hoping we would ask? Oh God, uh, I ooh, got I him! Yes, I got him. Oh. Been a whole hour. I got it finally. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I got nothing. Oh wow! Sweet dude, it's <laughs> good. We just wanted to uh, make sure you were human. <laughs> yeah exactly no yeah you you burned me out with that one yeah nice. <laughs> nice dude thank you so much what a super fun time chatting and hanging out and i hope you keep ripping on the road bro i can't wait to see some more pics and chat with the other phone and see how it's all going again and a few more shows dude thank you yeah no it was this was great it was uh fun and honestly very nice to kind of unwind for a little bit after doing all those all those shows and just being able to sit here and have a good time. Rad awesome. dude. Well, we'll let you get back to your laundry. Thank you so much for hanging with us and we'll chat with you soon, homie. Thank cool. You so Thank you. Sounds good. Yeah.